0: You see, I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprints that put us on the path and the journeys of our lives. And some find purpose. Every story can help, heal, inspire. And my big word of all is to give hope. What? It's such a small word, but has such a strong and powerful meaning. Wouldn't you agree? Today, my guest is Diana Davis, and she has a nonprofit titled Movies Making a Difference. Now, this isn't your regular, ordinary, 501c3 nonprofit organization. She actually makes movies. And I'll let her discuss her mission and how she was inspired and some of the projects that she's working on. Please help me welcome my guest today, Diana Davis. Hello. Why, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes, I got the privilege of actually doing a Q&A with you at the Chandler International Film Festival just last month in January. And you had had a uh, film I Any mean, reference to this pamphlet here real fast. And that was Cult Cartel. And it was fascinating that you're a nonprofit that does movies based on real life. Please share with us what your mission statement is.
1: It's to make socially conscious movies highlighting the injustice of human trafficking, child labor, child brides, and spiritual abuse, and then directly aiding the survivors upon whom the films shed light
0: that's a second part which is pretty heavy because once you get in there now you got to figure out how you're going to help these individuals right Mm-hmm. so the, uh, what inspired you to start doing this
1: well I was an actress in New York and when I was in my early 20s and I would be going to auditions and uh on the street corners there would be women with these big uh big blown up photos of women in bondage in uh, South Africa or um, Middle East and, uh, you know, the, uh, Asia. And I would be trying to memorize my lines and, where, and I would be walking because I couldn't afford a cab. So what in the world was I supposed to do, you know, to help these poor women? So the fact that they were, and they would sort of be, you know, aggressive, they'd get in your, you know, really get in your face and say, you as a woman, you need to help this. So, um, anyway, I, you know, flash forward 20 years, I'm now living in Phoenix with, uh, my kids were going to school. I'm married and, um, at the ANLC, the, you know, little school where, um, I run into at a, a event, Mike Watkins, who was our, you know, foremost news reporter there in phoenix at the time
0: Know who he is
1: yes so i walked up to him his kids were and i were the same class knowing that he had just come back from washington dc having won an edward Murrow award for his um documentary so i congratulated him and he said well thank you but he seemed really dejected and but not enough people watch documentaries and the subject matter of this is so horrible that they really just want to go have a drink and not, you know, pay any. try to forget about it. I said, well, what is this subject matter? So as I told you, he told me it was the FLDS. And I said, oh, you mean those crazy women in their prairie dresses that don't mind sharing their husband? And he said, this is what I'm talking about. This is right on the border of Arizona and Utah. And we don't even know what's going on or not aware of the horrors up there. So he started telling me that Um, you know, how he would go up and uncover it. And his news station wasn't letting him report on it. And he just wished that he could find someone that would be able to make a a commercial film, maybe with an uplifting ending that would get people to rally behind, you know, helping these uh, poor people uh, instead of turning away. So I said, well, that sounds like a great idea. You know, um, so are you going to do it? And he he said, I've been trying to find someone will do it. Nobody wants to touch it." anyone I'm thinking since I was a an actress I still knew so many people in the film industry that had stayed in it and my husband was a writer and this time it wasn't halfway around the world and I did have you know the wherewithal I was a realtor now and had you know the funds to take a trip up there do whatever I needed to do and I knew all these people so I went home and told my husband that he had to write a movie and he went down and got like hours and hours of footage from Mike's station that he hadn't been able to, um, you know, out. Mm-hmm. and, um, and so, and then I thought, well, I'll, you know, try to raise money. It was just when the real estate market crashed, couldn't raise any money. And, but there was also a writer's strike. So none of these friends of mine that were actors were working. So everybody just rallied and it was a labor of love. And we made the first movie, Cathedral Canyon. So I started um, putting it into the film festivals in the Southwest. Didn't get into the Phoenix Film Festival, Scottsdale Film Festival, Sedona Film Festival, even in, you know, New Mexico, Utah, Denver area, I thought, well, I'm just a first time filmmaker, probably not good enough. Um, But my best friend was in Palm Beach since since we were from childhood. And I thought, well, if we possibly could get in there, at least I have a place to stay. So one last ditch attempt to get into a film festival. So I submitted to the Palm Beach International Film Festival and we got in and we won for audience choice for best feature film. And so everyone came out of the woodwork saying this is going on in our country. They just couldn't. Believe it. And just giving me their business cards and saying we need to help. So by this time, I had met some people that were you know, survivors of this horrific um, uh, so-called religion. And um, I just couldn't think about just saying, OK, I raised some awareness. OK, there you all go. You're on your own. So that's when I had the idea that I should turn it into a nonprofit. And then when we show the movie, all proceeds would go back to aid the survivors. And so that was 10 years ago. And now two years ago, I stopped counting at 150 that we have aided and are basically all still with us do in all different levels. And, you know, we put some in business. We get them off drugs when they're on the street. We have a safe house now. And um, so- that's that's, rem- that's
0: remarkable that you can save that many lives. And mm-hmm. I always have this statement that I make, making a difference one person one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Now it's changed up to mm-hmm. making a difference one person through one story at a time because that is what I do with what I do. And now you have the same thing, but you have it um in film. Right. where a lot of people are visual. And we don't sit long enough, like you said, to, to do a whole lot, we're always on the go and movies until someone says, oh, you won this. No one really knows what you're doing, right? Yes. And you've right. done two parts. You've gotten the recognition for the film. You've brought information that has not been provided to us as a society. We already know how media has changed their ways of how they report stuff. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't hear it does not mean, and you know this, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's now, and we're not turning a blind eye. We just don't know that our eyes are closed because we're not being informed. And so you've done that, and then the extra step further is giving those individuals an opportunity, opportunity rather, to live a life that they they all should have, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a that is an awesome mission to go from New York, which is very expensive to live, but a great place. I've been there once or twice, and then you found an inspiration just doing your own life and your own journey, and now you've changed many people's lives that now it's a nonprofit that just keeps growing, I'm assuming, with board members and locations.
1: Every single year has gotten better. And then we did our second movie, which um, was starring Donnie Most from Happy Days, Jude Tyler from that 70s show, um, Windsor Harmon, who reprised his role from the uh, Cathedral Canyon to Cult Cartel, along with of the survivors who are actually either in the movie or doing hair makeup, craft services. Um, they're, you know, all involved. and we filmed it inside Colorado City.
0: That's remarkable. You you gave a place for people to feel like they actually have a belonging. We all want to have a sense of belonging. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of someone seeing and how we're going to get, it. Like you know, struggling whether we're going to have gas money right now for our vehicles. Yeah. You know, but how about someone trying to find a place to call home, whether it's love or just a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. And the film that I saw that was at the Chandler International Festival, Film Festival, rather, that you got to be a part of, um, I got to do some Q and a with you was cult cartel. You just talked about the different other movie, but these are the same. This is the same type of situation. Would you like to give our listeners and our viewers a little uh, short clip on that movie? Cause then I'm going to ask you about your next project.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, the the one that, uh, that I just spoke of with the 28 survivors in it, that was Cult cartel. Okay. That's the second movie. And then the the third movie is going to be Carmelita about the, Trafficking over the border, border of Mexico, our southern border, and it really is going down much, you know, deeper into this, uh, you know, South America and Central America, bringing all the the girls up to that area for um, work in the American factories that are all there. We are really doing so much to support this, and then being upset when they're fleeing and coming into our country. You know, we they they do not want to leave their country. They don't want to make that horrific and treacherous journey across the desert unless things were just so horrific where, they, um, where they're coming from. And we really contribute so much, the same thing no one really is aware of.
0: Now that's the sad part of the way that we're being informed on a lot of things is we're not getting enough information. Um, this may be a question you can answer, or maybe don't have an answer to. What is the youngest um, in trafficking have you come across in your journey of doing this?
1: The I haven't come across that um, young because, on, sadly, the most of the younger ones that I've heard about or that have been in tra- been trafficked since they were young. By the time they were able to get out and aware. Um, their it was through their parents or a family member and it's so we can't legally go in and take someone even even if we get a call from someone that's 17 um we're supposed to call us and let them handle it all most of the time i mean that's the last thing that any of these you know girls or boys want so we sort of <clears throat> are there to them to talk to <clears throat> excuse me um and keep you know see how long it is till their 18th birthday and make a plan for them when they get out <clears throat> then for normally about 1920 and they will tell that they've been um you know trafficked since they were 14 15 years old but they didn't even, most of them don't even realize they were
0: trafficked no it's um I, and I say this often. We don't know what we're, what our lives are, that there's something different because that's what we've been accustomed to. So you don't know anything different until something different has been presented to you to know that that was yeah. wrong or if that was, you know, good or bad or whatever. However, someone wants to look at it in their perception of whatever the topic is. So I can understand that. And then, then when you, when you do realize, or they do realize that it was one of those things that was not right. And this is where I think you come into play. That's trauma. There's, that's a sense. Oh, of yes. Yeah. So how do you help with that part of it? Is there education? Is there counseling? What is there that you help
1: get them? Well, I became uh, a counselor, so I can, um, I, uh, you know what, I, I did it actually, so I would have the credential for what I'm doing. But, um, Sometimes that's I just inherently know for some reason how to talk to these kids, how to relate to them Um, when most counselors where they go to have never heard or met anyone that have been through these circumstances. So it's very difficult. And they end up spending months asking them questions. And they're they for a large percent, as the kids tell me, I tell them all kids. They're always going to be kids to me. Um, They uh, they're they're it's almost a more of an education and the therapist is more fascinated by this, you know, occurrence that they never knew existed in our country. Um, so now I go and meet with, uh, we have volunteers or if we get into a treatment center, I go and talk to the therapist first and I explain it and I say, this is real. This is, you know, it's not some overblown, you know, uh, psychological problem that this girl this really is happening to you know hundreds of thousands of these kids and I educate them and then when they uh go in to speak to the therapists and we're really fortunate we have some really good therapists they just um have never been presented with this type of a you know lifestyle Uh upbringing so yes we get them therapy we get them I we get them um tutors many haven't uh, ever learned to read they don't go to school they've been in child labor ever since they're little kids so basically we get them everything they need yes some they're much older and they are self-educated and it's just remarkable you can't believe when they say I've only had a second grade education Um, and that's basically just to learn to read enough to read the so-called prophets teachings, you know, no history, nothing that, you know, no science. So um, to have some, you know, that are, you know, in their late 20s and they now are self-educated on a second grade education and reading level, it's just inspiring to see. And then there's no point in them trying to go back to school at that age. So they will get them tutors to have them brush up on their reading skills and things like that.
0: That, that brings to the whole term, you know, there's all these different cliches we hear about, like life is short and all those things. This is one of those things, and people like to use this a lot, um, the life of hard knocks. Mm-hmm. That's right there, true yes. hard knocks. You know, that's, that's yes. a lifer, not someone who learned something through school. They learned it just by living and going through their experiences. Yes. Um, wow. Now, in... Um, in the beginning, you had talked about how you bring an awareness, um, and I know that there are certain terms that cover up the real meaning behind it, so I'm going to ask this one, and that one is human puppy mills of child slavery. Can you elaborate more on that?
1: Sure. Well, they have this um, so-called you know religion that they took from not only the Mormons, but there's I maybe mean, when you need to have a, a larger population, it works extremely well to have one man have Um, multiple uh, wives um, so they can have that many more kids, right? So you just keep all these women pregnant. So they have it be their religion that the man has to have at least three wives to go to heaven or five. And they're assigned their wives. The men don't get to go pick them, nor do the wives have to agree upon this. And then the wives are told that, are raised being told that um, in order to get to heaven, you should be having a baby every year from childbearing age. So you consider the numbers of children that are born that are being raised for child labor. So it's really just like they do in a puppy mill, just keep the puppies getting pregnant over and over more and more, pregnant. it's all profits. Now in every last aspect of any of this, it's all greed. It's all it boils down to, whether it's the you know sex trafficking out there, whether it's the um, child labor, it all is from greed.
0: So I know that, and this is just going to be my opinion, because what I say doesn't mean it's fact, but from my observation and my opinion of speaking with you and other organizations or just hearing about the different things that you talked about in trafficking, which has so many different levels, um, there are organizations like yours and others who are trying to stop it, but in reality, and you correct me if I'm wrong, there will never be an end to it completely, but there will be a life changing that you're able to do and other organizations and other groups are able to do. Is that how I understand this is
1: Yes, we can't stop it from happening. The only thing that's gonna stop it is the demand. Hmm. You know, as long as there are men out there that'll buy these children, if there's men that will, you know, want to breed kids for child labor, um, it's not gonna stop. It's the and uh, law enforcement right, right now. Is- a lot of it um, are trained well of these like little towns across the country. Some are not at all. Um, and it's so the this, this disparage is really great. I've, I've encountered both the tiny town of Sylvan, North Carolina. That was remarkable how all the fast food places that I got a girl into and whatever. Everyone knew exactly what to do the, Police showed up. We had the ambulance come. Got a rape kit done. Got you know, I testified remotely and got them all in prison. And it was just you know astonishing how well they were trained. And then quite uh, recently, um, a little town in Utah had a um, similar thing with traffickers at the girl's doorstep. She called the police, and they didn't know what to do about it. They're like, "Well, the crime hasn't been committed yet, so." You seem safe. Just lock your door. What are we going to do without, you know, any training at all? When we had the names of the guys, where they lived, everything. And so basically what I had to tell her is they had to tell them that you were with Movies Making a Difference. It's an organization that is, you know, AIDS, you know, girls of trafficking, combat, and give them our website, see that we are they'll go somewhere else. They will leave you alone because they there's sadly there's enough girls out there that don't have anyone behind them. And they they focus on girls like this particular girl and the one in North Carolina that is estranged from their family or the ones that had her family that had died and they're young, like 19 years old. and became drug addicts, got involved with the wrong guy who's, you know, separated um, from their friends. And now they're alone. No one's going to know that they're gone. Those are who they prey on. They don't go to a mall and take a kid. Their mother's going to pick them up and they're not going to be there. Right. So same thing. If they think that there's an organization behind them, they're going to go somewhere else. But it's just heartbreaking to see that the police just don't know what to do about it, but even with all of the media attention and awareness that they still are in the dark.
0: And here's one thing I wanted to add, because you've referenced the police several times. And we do think that when something's wrong or we need help, we call 911, the police are going to be there. Um, I actually went through here uh, in my own city of Chandler. I went through the 16 week course of the Civilians Police Academy and I learned There is so much more that these police officers are doing, and there's not a book that they can just open up and say, this is what's going on. This is what you do. You yeah. just do another thing in there. And so I think we really need to give credit to our police officers and our first responders because they are not, they just go with what they can do. And I'm sure they get overwhelmed just as much as we do with one situation. They've got many families and situations that come about yes. in their day to day work uh, and, and their personal lives. I'm sure. Cause I can't just, okay, I'm going to clock out and leave it here. I'm certain that they can't just do that.
1: No, that's a. Uh... Yeah, the, exactly. it's, it's the whole thing. It's it's overwhelming to everybody that's involved.
0: So before I ask my final question, I want you to give us the website in the event that someone wants to learn more about your organization, whether it's to volunteer, to donate, or maybe to learn about the next film festival that you're going to be in on your next project.
1: Wonderful. Yes, it's moviesmakingadifference.org. And uh, you can actually... Uh, Purchased for a suggested donation, our first movie, um, Cathedral Canyon, that was the award-winning movie that started it all. And since we're still on the film festival circuit, uh, we will not be putting the second one up for uh, public viewing, um, probably until like the end of the summer.
0: And then before again, I ask my last question with you already mentioning that there's other films. Where do or do people come to you for the content or the, uh, the title or the opportunity to make these situations into a film?
1: No, they're really from now the kids that I meet and the stories that like the one on Mexico that I know the families, I know the people that were involved in it firsthand. And it's a story that needs to be told. And so then I've got my writer and our crew. And so we just continue doing what's been working.
0: And I wanna quickly
1: reference, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. So I was gonna say, and everybody's doing it as a big labor of love. So that's what we're sticking with.
0: Mm -hmm. And I wanna quickly reference because you and I talked prior to this interview about the last film that you're actually going to be doing and knowing the people. Do you wanna say a little bit about what that storyline is?
1: Sure. It's actually a murder mystery that takes place in on the border of Mexico. All our films are based on true events. They're feature films, but they're not documentaries, but they are based on occurrences. And so this is a a young girl that they find um, murdered and uh, a relative that's on the American side. uh, She decides to um, try to find out what's happened to her young uh, cousin and it just keeps evolving and more and more things are learned as it's, you know, so that's how we raise the awareness by as she's uh, learning. So is the audience learning. And it really talks about how um, American greed also is uh, enabling these things to go on in Mexico and people turning a blind eye thinking that they're not, it's not my daughter. Uh, You know, it just, uh, it's not going to affect me, but, it affects us all.
0: Until someone learns about the story, like I had shared with you prior to this interview, when I was going down to doing mission, uh, mission trips down there. And I just shared with you one reason why I don't go down there. You actually know it. And that's what you're going to be working with next, which is really interesting Mm -hmm. how that comes about, because I would have never known because the media said something different versus what you say is the fact. So The um, current events is very powerful as long as you get the right information and the right people. At any time, do these things um, or these movies, when they're put out there, make you feel like you're in danger when you bring out the uh, the truths of these
1: stories? When I was when I was showing the first one in Arizona, uh, places would try to show the movie and the next thing that, you know, the day before people would show up. At their doorstep, whether it be like there was a, a wine bar in particular, and people would all get, bring a can of food to help and um, show the movie, they'd say these men, not knowing who they are, would say, uh, "If you show this movie, the health department will be all over you." Um, I would get anything I'd post on Facebook, and uh, would be um, about Colorado City um, or the FLDS. I'd start getting hacked. My emails, my um, social media, I've never actually felt physically threatened. They've just let me know they've got my, their eye on me. And I hadn't put myself really into a situation that I knew would be, you know, extremely dangerous for me. Although looking back, I think when I get a call and this needs to go on, I, I don't think twice I need to go and help this girl. I don't think, oh, that's too dangerous. Um, so I don't know whether I've just been lucky or I think they're aware that perhaps it's not in their best interest either to start um, going after a middle-aged housewife in in Phoenix.
0: I love what you're doing, and it's very touching and it's very powerful. as I said earlier, I got to do a q and a with you after the film, and that's why I wanted to bring you here because there's a lot of information we're not given and and a lot of times people will go see a movie and they won't walk away with understanding there was more involved in it. So that's me mm-hmm. where I go, what was the real mission and meaning behind it? We can walk away from a, a love story or a, you know a saving a life story, but What was the inspiration behind it, which I believe was one of the questions I had asked you initially. Mm -hmm. With my final question, what message would you like to leave our listeners and viewers, because this would be both on YouTube and my Spotify. What message would you like to leave based on your journey of your life, whether it's your personal or your professional and where you're at today?
1: Well, people will always say, Oh, you're such an angel. You're so amazing. You do this work. And I'm really the lucky one. I get to meet these wonderful kids. I get to design my own life every day. Um, And actually a a few months ago, I was at a a luncheon and I was with a friend, didn't know anyone there. And she brought me over to talk to some people, some women. And, uh, One of them said, you know, same thing. Oh my goodness, you're so, you know, and it's embarrassing to me. So I said, no, 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 no. I'm the lucky one. I could be working at some back room of a bank and might be making money or whatever, but I mean, how dreary would that be? And my friend pulls me away. I go, what? She goes, that woman works in the back room of a bank. (laughs) I felt so terrible. And I was really, it affected me. Like, how could I have done that of all things? And then I had to think all of a sudden it struck me a few weeks later, maybe that woman needed to hear that. Maybe she was really unhappy in that back room of a bank and there's Some other thing that you're passionate about that would be more fulfilling. And so I think that's what I would want. Let everyone know, do what is inside you and a little voice in your head saying, this is what you are meant to be doing. 100%
0: One hundred percent agree with you on that one. Now, I didn't work in the back of a bank; I can't add a whole lot more than in <laughs> my bank account. But um, it—it's true. You just—you hear something, and it—it it will resonate with some, and some. It'll take a little bit longer to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I should be doing this, but always follow your heart, and that's what you're doing. And it started with being in New York, and you know, as funny as we are, trying to be s- accommodating and not so sensitive about responses and saying things like you just said, someone working uh-huh. in the bank. Working in a bank, whatever it may be, if this is where it helps you get into the next part of where you're supposed to be in your life,
1: then so right. be it. Yeah. And it really wasn't working in a bank. It was the back room. I just that met in some <laughs> dark thing with no windows and dreary and just sitting there punching numbers and everything. And that's where that poor woman was, of all places for me to say. <laughs> but you don't Maybe. have to... You know, Maybe that was the message she needed to hear from. That's what she needed to hear. And that it's really, it's not, you don't have to be an angel. You don't have, I'm really the lucky one that I stumbled into my calling. Just as I get to do with
0: my stories of hope. I've been doing this for almost five years. I get changed by every single story that makes me not only a better person, but allows me to try and, and be um, more understanding of other people because not everyone's going to talk to you and not everyone's going to tell you what's going on and right. not everyone wants to care. So thank you for being my guest today. Um, it was a blessing and a privilege to meet you and to hear more about what you're doing. And I look forward to hearing more about what you're doing in the future. And um, um, one more time, your website? Moviesmakingadifference.org. Thank you, Diana, again, for being my guest today. Thank you. It was just
1: wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for what you're doing.
0: Yes. Thank you for acknowledging that. I I get a big heart on it and sometimes I'll cry because there's so much that I I hear because I do it all day long. Mm -hmm. To my listeners, I thank you yet again for tuning in and listening to yet another amazing story and an organization that's making a difference in her community. Oh heck, she's making a difference in the whole continent and outside the borders. And if you have a story you want to share or has an organization that is making a difference in your community, please email me to the address of christine at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.